Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
Well, good morning. Y'all done sang like five songs and sing a baptism. Surely you're awake. Good morning. Good morning. There you go. The folks in Facebook land said it loud enough I could hear them, and I didn't even get y'all just then. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, find your way there. And for the last few weeks, uh, we've really been dialing in on the need and the necessity uh, of evangelism. The last few weeks, uh, we kind of dialed in on that, and then last week we started to introduce the idea that evangelism and discipleship are really intrinsically related. So you can't have one without the other. They are each a, a major makeup of the other. So we, we've essentially said this word last week, if you ain't fishing, you ain't following, right? We said, if you ain't fishing, you ain't following. In other words, if you're not sharing the gospel of Jesus in some way with somebody, then you're not being obedient to what Jesus saved you for. You're not doing what God called you to do. And so if you're going to be about the work of Jesus, you're going to be about the business of making disciples of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to wrap this series up uh, with a focus on the command that comes from God, known to us as believers simply as the Great Commission. If I told you Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20, most of you Bible scholars would know that I'm referring to the Great Commission. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at a few aspects this morning of what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Now to set the scene, here in Matthew as we come, we've gathered what most scholars believe to be around a crowd of 500 are together here at this place. Uh, these are the ones who have remained faithful, though in the text you will see uh, that some are doubtful as they're there waiting on Jesus. 
Uh, but in Jesus' ministry, we've seen crowds. Uh, we know of one crowd that consisted of 5,000 men. Most believe, by the time you added the women and children, that there were somewhere between 10 to 20,000 people that were present at one of the gatherings where Jesus was teaching. And, and that since his death, it is resurrection and the persecution that ensued after that. That number had dwindled down to where this group that is gathered is somewhere smaller than 500. And so that means that as Jesus gathers these folks with the intention of delivering this message, this is the last message that he's going to deliver to this group of believers on earth. And this is the direction by which his gospel is going to spread to all the corners of the earth. And he has chosen in his sovereign wisdom that the method by which his story would spread to the earth is this faithful remnant of people that are gathered there today. And this faithful remnant of people you could really describe as the church. This is essentially the church in this time. And so it is with that mindset I ask you to stand if you're able in honor and reverence for the reading of the Word of God from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. And we'll pick up in verse 16 on this subject, commissioned for a mission. Commissioned for mission. And then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we pray this morning that you would do what only you can do, and that is dwell among your people, Father. Father, we thank you for the music portion of our worship. And now as we turn to the study of your word in our worship service this morning, Father, we pray that our worship would be pleasing to you. Father, we ask if there be any devil, any demon, Father, any spirit, any thought, Father, any doubt that might creep into our mind as we gather this morning, would you remove it at this time? Father, in your name we pray that you cast that out this time, that we would focus on you and you alone for the next few minutes, and that you would be glorified as we gather. Father, we pray that you would increase in this house, Father, and we'll give you the praise because you're worthy. We'll give you the honor because it's yours. And Father, we'll lift up your holy name because it is the only name that is worthy of our worship. And God, in your name we pray, as all of your people said, amen. Please be seated. First thing we're going to look at this morning is this. If we are a disciple, we will be assembled in his name. We will be assembled in his name. I believe as we start... It may be proper if we look at the word that used here for disciples. It says, then the 11 disciples. And then it'll say it again in verse 19. It says, go therefore and make disciples. That word disciple is really is an interesting word. And it's important that we understand exactly what it means. It means to be a believer or a learner in something, to follow something. In other words, a disciple of Jesus is someone who follows him by believing in him and learning about him. So when he uses the words disciples, he's really saying it means to be a believing learner or a learning believer. Depends on which way you want to say it, whichever way sticks in your mind best. But the word disciple here means one who is a learning believer or a believing learner, someone who believes in Jesus and wants to learn more about Jesus as they go. And so really the disciple of Christ is not, is not just someone who believes in him. 
but someone who subsequently, as a result of their belief in him, desires to continue to learn more about him. It's the reason that we should hunger and thirst to gather in his name. We hunger and thirst to learn more about him, and and we learn these things. And so the 11 disciples are there, and at the end of the verse 16, we see that also there's a group that's simply defined as them. And these are the followers of Jesus who were not one of the 11 disciples that are gathered. So what is essentially happening here is those who, who believe in Jesus, are gathering together in his name at his request at the place where he had prescribed for them to go. Now, I don't know about you guys. I'm not real bright, and you know that very well. I don't need no comments from the bullpen this morning, but I, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but that sounds a lot like a church service to me, don't it? The people that believe in Jesus are gathering in the place where he told them to gather and doing what he told them to do, and he said, do it until I get there. Amen? That sounds like a church service for me, but if you're not sure, let's go a little further. Look at their attitude as they assemble together in verse 17 it says when they saw him they did what worshiped him when they saw him they worshiped him they came to the place where Jesus had prescribed they gathered themselves together and they began to worship them now I know it sounds like church now amen they went to where Jesus told them to go they gathered in his name and they began to worship him now That means that one of the things that that when when you're learning to be a believer and learning to be a follower of Christ, when you're a disciple of Christ, one of the things that will mark you as a disciple is that you will have a desire to gather together in his name. Let me say that again. One of the ways that you can look at the mark of a disciple, of a believer in Christ, is you will desire to gather together in his name. Uh, Jesus said in John 8, 31, that those who abide in his word are his Real disciples. Now the word of God says disciples indeed. But it really means those who gather and abide in his word are his real disciples. How do we continue in his word? Well, one of the ways that we continue in his word is to assemble in his name in a place where his word is proclaimed, right? It's the reason that we don't go somewhere and merely gather at a feel-good meeting where people talk about the idea of God. It's where we gather together and we open the Word of God together and we study the Word of God together. Keep in mind that these followers of Jesus have been in this location since the crucifixion of Jesus. Right? He had prescribed this location and they had gathered together in this place and they had been waiting. It's why it says that some were in doubt. Right? Some had been gathered together and they were not sure when he was coming, not sure if he was coming. Imagine with me, if you put yourself in their shoes, that they had followed this prophet who had been preaching for three years, who had done signs and miracles and wonders, and they began to believe that he really was the Messiah, but suddenly they'd seen him hang on a tree. They had seen him die on a cross, and now they were gathered there and waiting on him. And I can only imagine that some of them, as they saw Jesus coming, begin to go, could that really be Jesus? We saw him laid in a tomb. Could that really be Jesus? We saw him die on a cross. Could that really be Jesus? We've seen X, Y, Z, and we've been gathered here together. But the Word of God says that they began to worship him. In fact, it literally says they fell prostrate before him. That's what that phrase means. It means they put their face in the dirt at the presence of a holy God. Now let me just tell you something, church. There are some rich truths that should speak into the life of a believer there. First... If you are an indeed disciple, now I don't know about you guys, but I want to be an indeed disciple. When it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, I want all of the adjectives you can put in front of it. 
I want to be a good disciple, a good disciple, an indeed disciple, a real disciple, an abiding disciple, a loving disciple, a living disciple. I want to be every kind of disciple I can be when it comes to following Jesus Christ. And that means if we should assemble in his name and abide in his word, gather with other believers, worship him with those others who are abiding in his word. To put it quite simply, the life of an indeed disciple, of a real disciple, is not complete, is not complete without plugging into a Bible-preaching, Bible-loving fellowship of other disciples. It's required in our life that we would do that. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying if you don't go to church every Sunday, you ain't saved. I'm not even saying if you're not a member of a church, you ain't saved. I'm not saying if you ain't been to church in a while that I'm telling you you ain't saved. Whether or not you're saved is between you and God. I, I, that's way beyond my pay grade. What I am telling you is that if you get into the Word of God, if you're a disciple who is following Jesus and studying His Word and learning more about Him, when you pick up the tone and the tenor of the Bible, that tone and tenor is going to suggest that we are relational people. We serve a relational God, a Trinitarian God who always existed in relationship, and we are going to desire that fellowship and relationship with one another. It's something that's going to be intrinsically part of your nature. It's changed. You're no longer one of those who desires to be in the world. You're one of those who desires to be in the Word. And I, again, I'm not saying whether or not you're saved or not. I'm saying that the suggestion is that to be obedient to God is to plug in somewhere where His Word is proclaimed. We should gather in His name and we should worship Him because we already have our instructions. God has already given us the command. They didn't have their instructions yet as they gathered. They didn't yet have the entire Bible. They didn't have what was coming. Jesus still had to give them some instructions, and we're going to get into those in just a second. But we should gather in his name, we should worship him, and we should edify one another to fulfill the instructions that he's about to give this small group because we already have them. Right? We have a great benefit. We already know what's expected of us. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I, I used to play a lot of sports. And, and inevitably, at the beginning of every, every sports season, if you have a new coach particularly, you're on a new team, it's your first time in this new experience, right? you go into it, and I can remember going into that first practice, that first session, that first meeting, and I remember thinking, man, I just knew what this, if I just knew what he expected of me, I'd make sure I go ahead and did it so I'd get right up on the coach's good list, right? I want to climb up that good list. But the problem is, inevitably, you didn't know exactly what that coach expected. Now, you'd played enough ball, you knew a few things. He expected effort, he expected energy, he expected dedication, he expected all of those things. But every, every coach might have a little different something that made their ticker talk, right? And so it would be in that first session before you'd find out exactly what that was. That's where these disciples are. Guess what? We're, we're in this meeting this morning and we already know what God expects from us. We already know what he's looking for. We have the benefit of having the playbook at our disposal. And we're going to get into what that is because first the disciples will assemble in his name but secondly the disciples will go in his name. If you're a disciple of Christ you'll desire to assemble in his name but you'll also desire to go in his name. Look with me at verse 18. Jesus as he speaks open up with this statement. All authority 
has been given me in heaven and on earth. Let's stop there for just a moment. He makes this statement, and if we read it too quick, we'll miss out on Jesus and exactly what he's saying. But what Jesus is saying here is of paramount importance in the life of a believer. And what he's saying is this, he has all the authority. Every bit of it. He has all of the authority. That word for authority means literally that Jesus has the privilege or the freedom to do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, to who he wants, and whatever method he wants. He's got all the authority. We have seen in the Gospels, in fact, that Jesus had authority over diseases, didn't we? We've seen him heal diseases. We have seen that he has authority over the demons. We've seen him cast out the demons. We've seen him have authority over death when he called Jairus' daughter back to life, when he called Lazarus to come forth. We have seen him teach in such a way that what did they use to describe him? They said he has authority over the scriptures. We've never seen anyone teach with the authority that this Jesus teaches with. He gave authority to others, in fact. He has sold the authority, so he gave authority to his disciples to go out and to cast out demons. He gave the authority to his disciples to go out and to heal sicknesses. He gave the authority to 70 to go out and preach the gospel. In the book of Acts, we'll see him give the authority to his disciples even to bring someone who is deceased back to life. We've seen him give his disciples in the book of Acts the authority to walk out of the prison bars without the jailer having to open the gate. Amen? Jesus has authority over all things. And if you believe in the Bible, you've seen him exercise that authority over and over and over again. But where did Jesus get his authority? I'm glad you asked. In John chapter 5, it says he received it from his father. It means that he got his authority from God above, from the Father above. According to Philippians 2, the Father then has exalted him and given him a name which is above all names. So that means as we gather together in his name Jesus, we are gathering under a name that is above all names. It has been granted the excellence, it has been granted the worship, but my friend, it has been granted the authority for us to gather. How do we go? We go in his authority. I don't know about you guys, but that makes me feel pretty good. Every once in a while when I have to go somewhere and do something, somebody's called me and asked me to go, I'm going under their infallible authority and inevitably as I knock on the door, I think, what in the world is on the other side of this door? I'm going under the authority of a man when I go there. That's not very comforting, but my friend, it's good to know that when we go as a disciple of Jesus Christ to share his gospel, that when we knock on the door, it don't matter what's on the other side because we're under the authority of the one who put it in place in the first place. That's pretty comforting, amen? We're under his authority. Why does it matter that we're under his authority? Because if we're going to go in his name, we're going to have to submit to his authority. We're going to have to submit to his authority. Think of these words from Jesus that are about to follow. All authority has been given me, and then he gives a command. Go and make disciples of all the nation, baptizing them and teaching them. Church, can I just tell you, if we're going to be obedient to a command like that, we need to know the one who gave the command had the authority to do so. That's why Jesus says that. All authority has been given to me to give this command. You know, it's very similar to my children at home. I can send one of my children back to the back of the house, might I also add, when you constructed the parsonage, you did it in such a way that sound can't travel from one end to the other. Because I can utter a command as loudly as my voice will go, and most of you know that's plenty loud. And somehow or another, my children on the other end will have no idea that I've issued a command. Apparently, sound can't travel. 
So I'll send inevitably one of my children back, and it'll go something like this. I'll say, child one, would you run back to child three, and would you tell her that I need her to unload the dishwasher and bring her dirty clothes to the laundry? And inevitably in the back, I'll hear some kind of screeching, wailing, and hollering. Child one will come back without child three with no dirty clothes and without the dishwasher being unloaded. And then I'll say, what happened? She didn't listen. And I'll say, okay, child one, go back there with this authority. Say, daddy said, get out here and unload the dishwasher and bring your laundry. And my friends, do you know that suddenly there's no more weeping and nailing and gnashing of teeth? There's no more wailing and hollering and hooping and carrying on suddenly because the one with the authority gave the command. The command is followed. You see where I'm going with that? The one with the authority, daddy said, Go and do it. Suddenly, it's not somebody that doesn't have authority. My friend, when we go to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, if it makes you feel any better, you can start your statement with this. Daddy said. Because Daddy said it. Daddy said go and do it. And you can go in confidence. You can go with competence. And you can go with God in your corner because you have the authority to do so. I don't know about you guys, but that makes me feel good. That gives me a little confidence knowing that I've got the authority to do this. Can I tell you something else about this scene, though? Do you remember when I told you how many gathered when he was feeding people physically? About 20,000. But then he began to preach that he had to go to a cross and he had to give his life that they might have life and he was going to die and he was going to be put in a tomb. But he was doing something far greater and they began to realize his kingdom wasn't an earthly kingdom but a heavenly kingdom that he was establishing and the number dwindled. You know that's what happens when you assemble in his name and you open up his word and you preach the truth. The number might not be as large as when you tickle the ears but the ones that are there, they'll be there. Amen. So this group is gathered. There's less than 500 of them. Can I, did, I tell you what, did I tell you what he's going to do with them? He's going to make disciples of all the nations. And he's starting with a group of 500. Did you know? Did you know that we are gathered here in his name today because somebody out of that 500 was faithful enough to go and preach his word? That's the ripple effect of this small group of people that are gathered on this hillside under the name of Jesus in his authority. And that would have been a paralyzing command, wasn't it? Jesus, there's only a few of us. Jesus, a small percentage of the people in this town, in this world, are here gathered. And you're telling us that we are to be the ones that go out and make disciples of everyone? And Jesus said, absolutely, but you're doing it under my command. You're doing it with my authority. And you're doing it with my power. So go in my name. Go under my authority and spread my gospel. My friends... If we're not being submissive to his authority, that command is impossible. But did you know that that command hasn't changed today? But can I give you good news? Can I give you good news? That 500 would have been roughly 3% of the believed population of that time. Do you realize that in Wilson County today, just slightly under 50% of the people claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? So we're starting out with a better army than they had percentage-wise. 
But if 3% went out and evangelized the kingdom, that tells me that 3% was a lot hungrier for doing what God told them to do than this 50% in Wilson County has been lately. That hurt, didn't it? I hate it when that preacher goes and tells the truth. Guess what? I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to me this morning. What if the church obeyed the Great Commission to go out to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all of the commands? Because first, we'll assemble in his name. Second, we will go in his name. And finally, this morning, we will teach his name. We'll teach his name. How do we go and make disciples? Because right, that sounds scary, Brother Jason. I'm not sure about that. How do I go and do that? You teach Jesus. You teach Jesus. You teach that name. It starts with a proclamation of the gospel. That's how a disciple is made in the first place. Why? Because there is but one name under heaven given among men by which they're saved. No gospel presentation is complete apart from the name of Jesus because that is the saving name that is given. So you go out and make disciples by proclaiming the good news that Jesus died to save sinners. You tell people, though your sins are many, his mercy is more. You show them that according to the word of God that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of a holy God who created us in his image. And though we are separated from him and we are hopeless as a result of that sin, that God sent his son, Jesus, for he loved the world so much that he sent him to die for us. And that if we believe in him, we'll never die, but we'll have everlasting life in his name and that's a gospel presentation church that took about 18 seconds if you ain't got 18 seconds to give somebody this morning you're too busy amen it's a short presentation they go now hey it goes from there they'll start asking questions that's a good thing you start talking to them about what Jesus you make sure that the presentation focuses on Jesus because you ain't never saved nobody you can't praise the Lord but Jesus can Jesus does. So it starts with a teaching about Jesus and his saving power and his saving grace. But can I tell you something that happens? He gives it to us in order. He says, make disciples. That's do a gospel presentation. Once somebody is a disciple, once somebody accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then what should you do? You should baptize them. So you teach them. What do you do with a new disciple? You start to teach them about Jesus. What's the very first thing you ought to teach a new disciple about Jesus? Is you ought to teach them that the first act of obedience for a new believer is that we would be baptized. Why? Because the water don't save you, but it sure does give you the obedience to do what Jesus did. And Jesus said, do it in the way that I did it. He gave us the, Jesus didn't have to be baptized to be saved. Jesus was God. Jesus was baptized to give us an example of what we should do once we have accepted him as Lord and Savior. Our first act of submission and obedience would be to follow him in baptism. Can I just tell you something? Baptism don't make a disciple. It follows the making of a disciple. Can I tell you something? And I'm not going to preach long about baptism this morning, but I think I would be remiss if I didn't stop here for a minute. I ain't no genius again. I just like what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says that in the example that Jesus gives me of baptism, it says straightway he came up from the water. Now, I don't know about you guys. I'm going to put this geography and math and everything all together. I never was good at them classes, but I got this one down. You can't come straightway up out of something if you didn't go straightway down into it. Amen? 
You can't come up out of water that you ain't never been put in. So baptism, that baptizo is a submersion type of baptism. The Word of God says that after you accept Him as Savior, after you're a disciple of Jesus, your first act of obedience was that you would be baptizo, that is submerged in the water. That means you don't get sprinkled. You don't get your head wiped with a cloth. Don't nobody pour a cup of water over top of your head when you're a baby and seal it for eternity. That's the craziest non-biblical method I've ever heard. If you're listening to Facebook land, you don't like what I said, buy you a Bible. Amen? The Bible says that the first act of obedience for a believer is that we would follow in believers' baptism. That means Baptism don't equal salvation. Baptism don't create salvation. Baptism is a result of salvation. That means if you was baptized before you was saved, you just got wet. Forgive me. That subject has been messed up in our churches for far too long. Baptism follows salvation. Then you got something else to do. He says, hey, you make disciples. You teach them the first act of obedience is to be baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Small list, right? Brother Jason, what are we supposed to teach them? We got, all right, we got, we shared the gospel. We told them about baptism. They've been baptized. Now what? Teach them everything. Really? Everything. What about yes? Genesis through Revelation. Proclaim the word of God in its entirety consistently. Why? Because that's what Jesus said. Do. If you're a disciple, you will be abiding in his word. You will then be teaching his word. You will be looking at all the commandments. But can I just tell you something? In the process of teaching the full counsel of the word of God, from Genesis through Revelation, it says it's all good for reproof and correction. It should all be preached. We should be using all of it. But can I tell you what's going to happen when, when somebody comes to know Jesus and then they follow him in obedience and they hunger and they thirst for the word of God and you begin to teach them the word of God? Do you know what's going to happen in their life? They're going to start telling somebody else about Jesus because that's what the word of God suggests and they just don't know no better because they're a new believer. They ain't been in church long enough for anybody to tell them they ain't supposed to so they're going to be ready to go out and teach the word of God and next thing you know they're going to be learning the word of God and teaching the word of God. Wait a minute. What did we start with this morning? What was that I said a disciple was? It was a learning believer. They're going to be learning the Word of God. They're going to be teaching the Word of God. They're going to be believing on Jesus for their strength and their power to do so. I don't know about you guys. That sounds like a good method for seeing our families and our workplace and our communities and our friends come to know Christ, doesn't it? Tell somebody about Jesus. Teach them how to tell somebody about Jesus. Now... Every time I turn around, I get a Facebook message. And it'll inevitably be a presupposed paragraph that somebody's written explaining about why I would be so good at selling some particular product. You should try this. It's going to radically change your life. And I believe if you could just tell three other people and they were to believe it would change their life, you could get so rich and wealthy you'd never have to work again. Well, I like what I do, so I'm okay working. 
I'm not very good at selling nothing that don't start with Jesus. Because I don't got to sell it. I just got to tell it. Amen? What I'm saying is, is all, and I'm not, listen, the products, they may be great. I don't know. I'm not knocking any of that. If you sell a product, good for you. What I'm saying is this. If we got, if we got as excited about Jesus as we did about all of these other products and followed that model, what would change in the world today? What would change in the world today if we were to... What, do you need me to pre-write a Facebook Messenger paragraph? I will, and you can send it to 20 of your friends if you want to. And put on there, I know a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is with me. Whatever men may say, He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way because He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Is that what we need? Is, is a message to share on social media? Maybe that's where we're missing out. The simple fact of the matter is what we need is a desire to submit to the authority of God and do what He told us to do in the first place. There are plenty of tools at your disposal. You don't know how to tell somebody about Jesus? I told you six weeks ago, come find me and I'll teach you exactly how to tell somebody about Jesus. I'll get, Lord, there's enough tools out there to do it. Three circles, five methods, 11 sentences, four ways. Listen, there's ways to tell people about Jesus. You don't know what those are. Come find me. I'll tell you about Jesus with one of them. There are ways to do it. It's comforting that we have this playbook, though, isn't it? Because being truly obedient and truly submissive is a scary, scary thought. And Jesus leaves us with this. It's like Jesus knew when we read this, we'd go, man, that's tough. I got to go make disciples of all the nations, and then I got to teach them everything. That's hard, Jesus. And Jesus said, good news, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know what that means? Jesus is saying to us that even though it may be the scariest thing in the world to submit to him, he will never leave us nor forsake us. That until the day he comes and claims his kingdom, until the day that he comes and completes the work of the gospel, until the day that he comes, our job is to be sowing seeds because we don't get the harvest, he does. Our job is to sow the seeds. Why? Because he told us to. Because he told us to share Jesus with somebody even though it's scary because you're not by yourself. You're under his authority and you even have his power. I know it's scary. I know it's scary. Listen. Part of my job is to study the word of God. And when I sit down next to somebody and God moves on me to tell them about Jesus, they ain't nobody gets more scared than me. What's going to happen? I'm a preacher. What if, they ask, what if they see my Rocky Valley Baptist Church shirt and they ask me a question I don't know how to answer it? What if they ask me one of them tough questions in the Bible and I don't know what's going on? But you know the good news is it's not under my power. I go with his power. And if I don't know the answer to the question, you know what I just got? An opportunity to say, hey, can I get your phone number? Because I don't really exactly know how to answer that question correctly now, but I would love to buy you a cup of coffee next week, and I'll have the answer then. And now I've got another opportunity to share Jesus with them. 
Because we go under his authority and with his power. So how do we respond to this this morning? One, I believe someone here needs to commit themselves to the assembling together in his name. You've been nominal in your church attendance. You've been hot and cold, right? And you're, you're, you're on one of them cold stretches right now. You've, you've not been plugged in the way you once were. You used to go to church all the time. You used to be on fire for it. You used to love it more than anything in the world. And now all of a sudden, it's just not as important to you. It's become a back burner part of your life. It's something that you do every now and then. My friend, you need to commit to the assembling together in his name. You need to commit to assembling in his name because that is the mark of a true disciple. Maybe you're not part of a church and you've come this morning and said, I I think I could plug into this. I'd like to be a part of this. Make that commitment this morning that you're going to because can I tell you when you better not wait till you better not wait till next Sunday morning to decide if you're going to come to church next Sunday morning. You better go and make that decision now that you're going to be here because if you wait and let the devil show you some excuse not to, you'll find it. You'll find a reason not to. So make a, make, a, make a commitment to God that you will. But maybe you need to come this morning and you need to say, listen, I'm going to be on fire for God. I'm going to be here. I'm going to assemble in his name and I'm going to wait on my further instructions. And that's what I'm going to do. But I believe also that there's somebody here this morning that needs to pick up the mantle and go in his name. You've been assembling together. You've been coming to the house. You've been worshiping with other believers, but you haven't shared his name with anybody. You've been too scared, too nervous, too worried, too afraid, too whatever you want to put in there, but you haven't gone in his name to share his name. You need to come this morning and you say, God, I make a commitment that I am going to share your gospel with somebody this week. I'm going to share your gospel with somebody this week. What about your one? What about your one? Y'all thought I forgot about that. It's coming back next week with a, with a fervor. I gave you a chance to forget about it, and then we're going to reignite it. What about your one? Would you share the gospel with them this week? Would you call them, ask them if you can pray for them, with them, about them, to them, and about God with them? Would you do that this week? And I believe somebody here, I just believe there's somebody here who needs to be obedient to the Lord and say, I need to be baptized. I was saved, but I haven't been baptized yet. Or, or, or maybe, Brother Jason, I, I've been nervous about it because you see, I already got baptized one time before, but I know that my salvation happened on this date, and I haven't been baptized since then. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? Whether people are going to think you've been baptized multiple times? I don't care. Jesus said you only get baptized one time, and it's on the right side of salvation. So what happened before? If it was on the wrong side of salvation, wasn't baptism, it was a bath. Most of the time you didn't even put soap in there. It wasn't even a good bath. Get obedient with God. Can I just tell you something else? I would rather be obedient to God with people looking at me funny than have everybody think I'm okay and not be obedient with God. And if they look at you funny, something's wrong with them anyway. I believe there's somebody here who's been saved, who hadn't been baptized, who needs to say, I want to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I want to be obedient to God. Would you come this morning? And make that commitment to God. And finally this morning, I believe there's somebody here. I just believe there's somebody here in a room this size with this number of people in it. I just happen to believe there's somebody here who this whole time I've been talking about being a disciple of Jesus and and following Jesus and, and following in baptism and all of these things. You've gone, you know what? I have never accepted Jesus as my Savior. I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord. And I want to share a story with you this morning. It's a simple gospel presentation. And it starts like this. 
You have a holy God who created everything. He created you in his image. He created you perfectly and wonderfully just like you are. You're exactly the way you're supposed to be. However, as a result of sin, you're separated from God. So even though you were created in the image of a beautiful and wonderful and amazing God, sin has separated you from him. And the problem with that sin and that separation, my friend, is that you can never be made right with God because of anything you've done. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough. You can't go enough places. You can't come to enough church services. Your mama, daddy, grandmother, granddaddy, they wasn't good enough. If you die, you're going to die separated from God. And you're going to pay in eternity for your sins. But God so loved you that he sent Jesus to die for you that you could be reconciled to your holy God. So you were created in his image and you can be reconciled to his image because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you come this morning and let's talk about what it means to submit to Jesus, to give your life to him, and say, I want to be saved this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, we thank you for your mercy. Father, we thank you for your truth. But Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for your grace in that while we have been disobedient, you have loved us through it, Father. So call us to a new level of obedience. Father, a level of obedience that says, I will submit to your way and your will and I will go in your name. I will assemble in your name. I will come into the house where you've prescribed for me to come and I will worship your holy name. Father, we thank you for your grace and that while we were sinners, you died for us, Jesus. So, Father, I pray that if there's somebody in this house this morning who doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, that, Father, you would cover them with your mercy. Father, you would do what only you can do. And that's take this gospel seed and harvest a soul, Lord Jesus. Father, call us to obedience this morning. In whatever area we're disobedient, Father, we'll praise you for who you are because you're worthy of our worship, Lord. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Please stand. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.